Good morning and welcome to Faithbrook Church. I'm Chrissy Thompson, our Connections Director, and we are so happy you're here with us. If you're online, a welcome to you as well. If you're newer with us, we want to get to know you. Would you please grab one of these blue connection cards, fill that out, and drop it in the giving box on your way out. Or if you're online, you can go to faithbrook.church forward slash connect, and we look forward to getting to know you there. Here at Faithbrook, we love God, we love people, and we journey together. And a big part of loving God and loving people is through our world missions. Faithbrook is a part of a global network of over 30,000 churches um, through Church of the Nazarene, and we support over 500 missionaries. Those missionaries are on the front lines. They're in the hospitals and the schools, teaching and spreading the gospel. So we want to support them, and we appreciate your help in doing so. We even here at Faithbrook have a team that are headed to Brazil this spring, um, right up the Amazon River, and working to spread the gospel to others around the world. So a big thank you to those of you who are already giving to our world's missions. We appreciate you so much. If you would like to be a part of that as well, you can do so easily through our Church Center app under Giving, and then you can select World's Missions. Thank you so much for supporting these missionaries around the world. Let's now welcome our Pastor Peggy as we continue our series, Build a Boat. Good morning. It's so good to have you all here today, and for those of you who are joining us online, it's great to have you with us as well. Now, we're continuing in our series called Build a Boat, Lessons Learned from the Life of Noah. You know, Grandpa was sitting with his little grandson on his knee and telling him the story of Noah, the ark, the flood, the animals that all came two by two, and the little boy looks up at his grandpa and he says, Papa, were you on the ark? <laughs> no, son, I wasn't on the ark. And the little boy gets this curious, funny little look on his face and says, then why didn't you drown? <laughs> you know, kids ask the cutest questions sometimes, don't they? But you know, last week, uh, Pastor Jim introduced you to the society of the day in the time of Noah. And it was a society that was desperately corrupt, living in moral darkness, spiraling into sin, wickedness reigned on the earth. People had turned away from God, everyone but Noah. Noah stuck with him. And the scriptures say that Noah found favor with God. In Genesis 6, 9, it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. You know, Noah was different, and God liked what he saw. Righteous, blameless, everyone else chose wrong, Noah chose right. Society spiraled into sin, Noah stood strong. You know, it's not easy to be different, to be the weirdo on the block, but God is calling us to be different, to stand for what's right, even when everyone else goes wrong. You know, in, in the 1990s, there was a, an NCAA Division II National Championship cross-country race in California. And there's a man named Mike Del, Delcavo was running that race along with 127 other people, 10,000 meters, I think that's about six miles. And they started off, and as they got about halfway through the course, He's in the middle of the pack, and he noticed that all the runners ahead of him are turning left, and the course goes to the right. 
So he started to yell at them and flag them down and say, oh, you're, on the wrong, you're going the wrong way. You've got to come this direction. Well, he got four other runners to follow him. But Mike is now in the lead. And as they ran, the, the runners that took the left turn cut about a half a mile off of the course. And so eventually they get back together when, the, when these other runners hit the course again. And now Mike is in the back half of the pack. He's no longer in the lead, but he knows he's winning the race because all of the others have to be disqualified. They took a wrong turn. They left the course. Well, at the end of the race, the officials all got together and decided that since so many ran on the wrong course, they're going to change the course. So everybody that went wrong was now right. And Mike ended up 103rd in that race. You know, it's a mixed up world we live in. When everybody is wrong, so wrong becomes right. You know, however, in the world to come, Jim kind of talked about last week a little bit, we've got a judge and he's not gonna change the course, regardless of how many run, which pattern, which course. He wants us staying on the true course. You know, we, we need to be people like Noah, who did right even when everyone around him was doing wrong. He remained righteous and blameless and walked with God. You know, it's easy to follow the crowd, but it takes courage and conviction to stay the course with Christ. Sometimes it gets lonely on our race, and we may wonder if we're really on the right road after all. But God comes to Noah, the man on the right course, and he says to him, I'm about to destroy the earth, and I'm counting on you to fulfill a mission. He needs Noah on the right course. He needs Noah going in the right direction. You know, and God gives all of us a mission. It doesn't matter today if you're sitting in the back row or if you're standing here on the platform. God has a mission for every one of us. He's called us to that. Have you learned what mission he wants you on? You know, sometimes it's gonna seem like mission impossible, but everything is possible with God. We just have to decide what we're gonna do with the mission that God has called us to do. You know, he has a mission for Noah. He tells Noah, I need you to build a boat. Now, there's no scripture that tells us any words that Noah spoke until about three years after he gets off the ark. So we get to throw our imaginations in here and use our own thoughts to think about what did, Moses, or what did Noah say when God asked him to build a boat? You know, Noah, I need you to build a boat. Noah's response evidently was, sure, God, because he built a boat. He said, I can do that, but I've got one question. What's a boat? <laughs> He'd never needed one of those before. Never had one. God tells him, well, you know, I'm going to bring this huge, colossal rainstorm. It's going to rain until the entire earth is covered. It's going to be flooded. And that boat is a little wooden box that you're going to get into and that's going to save you. Okay, got that. What's rain? What's a flood? 
You know, he'd never seen that before either. You know, but in spite of not knowing what all this was gonna entail, not knowing what's gonna happen on the other side, Noah said, yes, Lord. But God didn't leave him clueless. He gave him some pretty uh, specific instructions on how to build that boat. Now, I don't know how long it took to build this boat. I imagine decades. You know, he, he doesn't have tools to work with. He's never seen one before. It's a huge boat. You know, I was at some meetings in Kansas last week and listening to a guy named uh, Jeff Kunselman. And he, he was giving us a devotional in the morning before our meeting started. And one thing he said struck me. It stuck with me all week. And I think it's so relevant to Noah. This is what he said. You never know what is on the other side of obedience to God. Have no idea. But Noah stepped out on faith, having no idea what was gonna happen, not quite sure he understood all the details. He had no idea what was on the other side of obedience. Yes, God, what's a boat? Sure, God, what's rain? He'd never seen what God was asking him to do, but he took a stance for obedience. You see, faith involves the unseen, and Noah exhibited his faith. No one else, his friends and his neighbors had seen a boat either, and they probably wondered, what's that old man Noah doing in his backyard? They mocked him, they criticized him, they might have even painted some graffiti on the side of that boat. But Noah kept up. He didn't quit. Now, Peter tells us that Noah was a preacher. In 2 Peter 2.5, says he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. Now, being a preacher would have made Noah want to convince everyone else that what God said he was gonna do, he's really gonna do. But when the day comes, there's only Noah and his family. Now imagine years of preaching to people who aren't the least bit interested in what you have to say. You know, and you have no way to prove to them that you're following what God has ordained you to do. And even if you could, they probably wouldn't care anyway. You know, but not only did God tell Noah how to build a boat, but he gave him some instructions about what to take on the boat with him. And that's what we want to focus on this morning. You know, are you building your boat, your life? You know, what lessons can we learn from Noah about what you should take on the boat with you? And maybe some things to not take on the boat with you. But the first thing Noah is told to take on his boat is his wife, his sons, and their wives. Bring them on with you. It's the next generation. It says in, in Genesis 6:18, you will enter the ark, you and your sons, and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You know, here at Faithbrook, we're concerned about the next generation. We talk about reaching the next generation. You know, why do we need to do that? 
Well, George Barna and his organization and several other organizations do studies from time to time, studying Christianity in the US. And what they have found that is with each succeeding generation, a smaller percentage claim to be Christians. So if that's true and we don't win the next generation, the church is one generation away from extinction. It's so important to go after that next generation. And it's about more than just Faithbrook Church. It's, it's about building the kingdom. You know, leading people into a healthy relationship with Christ and saving them from the madness of the world and for eternity. And God knew that it needed the next generation to repopulate the earth. You know, Noah and his family are gonna be given the same instructions that Adam and Eve were in the garden. Go and populate the earth. And Noah is 600 years old. His wife's probably pretty close to the same. They need that next generation. And they're gonna go help build the kingdom with us as we reach them. That next generation is so important. How do we tell them? How do we convince them? You know, some people rely on the church to develop faith in their kids. You know, and th think about it. If the kids come to church every week for an hour, we get 2.5% of their waking hours. That's not enough to establish them in the faith. So parents and grandparents, you need to model it. You're their biblical model. It's so great to have people up here this morning with their little kids, committing to bring them up in the Lord, taking that step early on in their lives. And so you, know, you, you pray with your kids. You get them into the word, you read it together. They've got a little Bible in those bags to start reading at a very young age. You need to talk to them about the events that are happening, happening around them in their culture and in the world to help them understand what's going on, that they're not afraid to sit down and have conversations with you, talk to you about what's happening to them. You know, another statistic I came across this week is that only 67% of parents claim to be Christians and only 2% of those claim to have a biblical worldview. Now, what's a worldview? You know, it's the attitudes, the values, the stories, the experiences that we have in the world around us that form our thoughts and our opinions. You know, our worldview is, is the lens through which we see our world. We form our opinions, we develop our moral compass based on our worldview. And there are a lot of worldviews out there today, and we need to begin to shepherd our kids into a biblical worldview. Our childhood experiences, the way we're raised, who our friends are, the cultural events that go on around us are all gonna influence the way we see the world. And in today's world, the effects of social media have a huge influence on the way our kids see the world, on the way millennials see the world. And I don't think we're really gonna understand the total effect of the influence of that social media for years to come. So many messages coming at us from so many 
different directions. And as parents and as the church, we need to shape those messages toward the right, that our kids might find favor with God. You know, another study from a few years ago showed that teens who spend time with their dad have a greater self-worth, greater self-esteem, and that teenagers need to have time with their fathers where they can have their undivided attention on a regular basis. And those kids grow up to have a high level of self-confidence in who they are. You know, and um, I have a friend who had his first daughter, and when she was only a year old, he decided, I'm gonna have a daughter-daddy date as often as I can. Sometimes they went out every week. Sometimes it was once a month, and he did that until she left for college. Two years later, he had a son, and he said, I'm having a daddy-son night as often as I can. He did that until he went off to college. He raised up some kids with high moral values, with a lot of self-confidence in who they were. Now, it doesn't guarantee that it's gonna happen, but it gives them a much better start in life. Um, And with that in mind, the key that affects our society today is the number of children living in a home without a father, without a stepfather, without an adoptive father, without their own father being active in their lives, even if their parents are separated. 24.7 million kids in the United States. 33% of the children live without the influence of a father figure or an important male figure in their life. So how do we as individuals or as the church speak into that? How can we as a congregation intercede into the lives of the fatherless? Now, that's not to say anything negative or derogatory about single moms. They are out there doing a yeoman's work. They're doing great jobs raising their kids. And for many of them, their fathers are active in their life. And they work together to raise their kids. But there's something about a father's influence that makes a difference in the life of teenagers. And there's a whole generation of kids out there that we somehow need to get them in the boat. How can we do that? Well, you know, around here at Faithbrook, if you come here on a Tuesday night, you're gonna see a bunch of fourth, fifth, and sixth graders running around out here, learning about Jesus, learning how to relate to each other with adults that are helping them through life, loving on them. And then if you come back on Wednesday night, You're gonna see even more teenagers running around out here with people that are loving on them, teaching them about a biblical worldview, a moral compass. And any of you that would like to volunteer, I know they'd love to have you, especially you men. You know, can can you provide a male influence into lives of some of those that don't have one? And I know those teens bring their friends and they may be bringing friends that don't have the influence of a father that you could step into. We also find them places to serve. You see a lot of them out there today with their kid's own shirts on. 
They volunteer to take care of our kids in kids' zone. They hold your kids in the nursery. They pray, play with them as a preschooler. They teach them Bible study lessons. Finding them a place to serve, to tie them in to the body of Christ. They take leadership roles next to experienced leaders so that we can train them to be the leaders of the church tomorrow as they work in the church today. So the next generation needs to become spiritually grounded. And the next generation isn't just about the kids, unless you're a millennial and they're your kids. But for the rest of us, it's that millennial generation, which many of you are. You know, across the street, we have a ton of homes with millennials moving in. That's the generation that we're concerned about as well. We want to provide a safe place for them to come and to bring their kids, to get grounded in their faith so that they can go home and be better parents, better models of Christ. You know, and we've got some opportunities. Chrissy has a moms group here once a month with moms that just come to learn how to be better moms, to learn what Jesus wants them to do as they raise their children, to learn from each other, to share their heartaches and their burdens with each other. And it's a growing group. I invite you to come and participate in that. And we have life groups, you know, where people gather together once a week or sometimes it's once a month or every other week. But it's couples, it's singles. Some of them are kid-friendly. In fact, a couple weeks ago, there was one life group that had 14 kids in the basement. So bring your kids. Come to life groups. Um, find a place where you can get connected with other people. Um, we need to provide tools to parents so that they can better parent, that they can provide answers and direction to their children. You know, just like Noah, we have to bring the next generation onto the boat, into our lives. And in Psalm 102, verse 18, it says this, let this be recorded for future generations so that a people not yet born will praise the Lord. A people not yet born, thinking about that next generation. And there's another verse in Psalm 71, 18. It says, even when I am old and gray, that's me, I think it's some of you, <laughs> but even when we are old and gray, do not forsake me, God, until I declare your power to the next generation your mighty acts to all who are to come. So for those of us who are older, we need to stay fit. Noah was 600 when God gave him a big job to do. You never know when God's gonna tap into you and ask you to do something really big. So we need to bring that next generation along. Now the next thing that Noah brought on board was a bunch of animals. God laid out some very specific directions about what animals to bring on the ark. In uh, Genesis 6, verse 19, he says, you are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, a male and a female, two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground. And then a few verse later, he kind of clarified and added a little different slant to his instructions. 
when he said, take with you seven of every kind of clean animal. Seven mates, males and their mates, two of every kind of unclean animal, male and a mate, seven of every kind of bird, male and female. See, he talks about the clean and the unclean. Now, when we think clean and unclean, we think about what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat, the kosher and the non-kosher. But that doesn't come up until Moses comes along several years later at Mount Sinai. The animals were not for food because at this point in history, man hadn't yet been given permission to eat meat. These are vegetarians that are getting on the boat. The purpose of the animals is to repopulate the earth like God created it in the beginning. Now, maybe you're curious about how many animals are on the boat. You know, I ask questions like that sometimes. You know. But the animals aren't for food, but they're for what's gonna happen after the flood. The purpose of the animals, along with repopulating the earth, was for worship. Clean animals were for worship. They were suitable to make an offering to God. And so when we look at the animals on the boat, we think about taxonomy. I'd never studied it. Wasn't interested in that part of science. But those of you who understand taxonomy, a kind is equivalent to our family in today's taxonomy scale. And so a kind can include many species. The, the basic rule is that if two animals can breed together, they're the same kind. So you take a dog and a coyote and a wolf, they're all the same kind. Okay, and um, people much smarter than me have studied this and done some analysis about it, and they have decided there, there are less than 1,400 kinds of animals. And so when you double that up with the male and the female and you look at all the, un, the clean, that you, now you've got seven pairs and they estimate that there were 6,744 animals on the boat. That's a zoo. <laughs> and they had to feed them, they had to clean up after them. You know, but the clean are appropriate for sacrifice. And in, uh, Noah brought on board his great faith in a faithful God and a means to worship him, those clean animals. So the first thing that Noah did when he got off the boat was to offer a sacrifice, a burnt sacrifice, burnt offering to God to thank him for his protection. That clean animal came into play at that moment in time. So he took on the boat the means for worship. Now for us, do we have the means of worship in our lives, on our boat? I mean, a week ago you could take a walk through the park and see the beauty of creation. How can you not worship in that? You know, we gather here in community to worship because it's so much better to worship together. God's given us his word. We can read it and digest it and understand his goodness and his faithfulness to us. As we build our boats, bring along a heart that's faithful 
and looking forward to what God is going to lead us into and worship him in all his glory. And then he gave one more instruction for him. In Genesis 6, verse 21, he says, you're to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Food and water for everyone, including the animals. Now, he probably got most of the water from the rain, although he might not have understood what that was to start with. But how much food did he need need to gather? How long was he going to be on the ark? God didn't tell him. Got no clue. But what he does have is a confident expectation that God will supply his needs. That's what he took on the boat with him. If God asked him to be obedient and he obeyed, God would supply. You never know what you'll find on the other side of obedience to God. So, how long was he going to be on the boat? He had no idea doesn't know how much food to collect, just trusts in God. You know, and the scriptures tell us how long he's on the boat. It says that in his 600th year, he entered the boat on the 17th day of the second month. And he left the ark in his 601st year on the 27th day of the second month. One year on the boat. Now, if he had known it was going to be a year on the boat, would he have been so eager to obey? (laughs) One year on that boat. You know, I think he would have. Because Noah knew that God knew what he was doing. And he's got this confident expectation that God knows what he's doing. Um, They could grow their food on the boat if they didn't take enough. They harvest the seeds and grow some. They had to set up systems to feed all the animals. They had to know what grain each animal ate. A lot of work getting prepared. You know, and when we think about that, do we believe that God will supply all of our needs? That we have this confident expectation that he's going to take care of us. You know, some of the happiest people I know are people that don't have a lot. And some of the most unhappy people I know are people that have everything. Things won't bring happiness. But if you have a confident expectation that God's going to take care of you and what you need, you can be happy. You know, Jesus' prayer was to give us this day, our daily bread. Don't pile on a week's worth. Give us this day. And we need to learn to distinguish between our needs and our wants. You know, we do pretty good with that with our kids, I think. They come to you and they need something, and you can say, well, you don't really need it, you want it. Just because your buddy got one. The latest game station. You know, the the newest toy. But what kind of an example do we set for them? You know, we've got an advertising industry out there that knows how to convince us that we need something, whether we do or not. Some of us can afford it, some of us can't. But we might go buy the new toy anyway because they've got it. And so we begin to buy stuff and credit cards and credit lines make it all accessible to us. You know, and you get all the new toys and then you 
have all this anxiety about the debt, how we're going to pay it off. And those new toys don't quite do it for you anymore. They're not what makes you happy because you've got anxiety building up about the ability to pay. So what do we need and confidently expect that God will provide for us? Which leads us to the next item. What don't we have to take on the boat? You know, you guys, have you ever gotten all ready to go on a trip? You're gonna take a long weekend. You're gonna go for four or five days and you get ready to load the car and you go downstairs and you're gonna grab the suitcase and go throw it in the car, get ready to go. And you get there and what's this? There's not one suitcase here. There might be two. There's a couple of extra bags and you ask your wife or your kids about it and you know, we're only going for four days. I need options, you know? (laughs) I can't just take five sets of clothes for five days. I have to have options. You know, and I can see Noah with his wife and his daughters, daughter-in-laws, saying, you can't get all this in the boat, folks. (laughs) You gotta leave some of the baggage behind. We can't take it all. We have to travel light. Travel light means leaving the baggage behind. You know, and for us, as we build our boat, we build our lives, there are things that we need to leave behind. We carry a lot of extra baggage sometimes, and we don't need to be carrying it. Sometimes we carry other people's baggage. Don't have enough of our own, we'll carry theirs. You know, you don't need to do that. And yeah, we've got old wounds, we've got hurts, we carry grudges. Those wounds from the past have scarred over and those scars hurt sometimes, but we need to learn to lay them down, let them go, learn to travel light. You know, and what happens when we travel light? We have more joy. We have more room to grow. We have more enjoyment in worship, more enjoyment with our family. You know, see, when we decide to follow Christ in obedience... God does a new thing in our lives. And that's gonna cause us to want to let go of some things that we don't need. Now, are you willing to let go of what God is trying to eliminate from your life? You ever thought about it? What is God trying to eliminate from my life? Noah had to leave the entire world behind. He got on the boat with the essentials. Now, are you trying to crowd things into your boat that you really don't have room for or time for and you probably don't really need? You know, with Noah, God destroyed the old world to create the new. And the old world and the new world couldn't exist together. You know, we can't save the things that God says, we have, says have to go if we want to move on. We have to give up our past failures, our grudges, our habits, our bad relationships. Noah left the only world he had ever known. His friends, his neighbors, all of his possessions to get on the boat burden-free, knowing that he was doing what God was calling him to do. He left all of the non-essentials all the distractions outside the boat 
to be drowned, to be covered with the worldwide flood. God didn't send the flood waters, though, without providing a means of escape. In that escape, he blessed Noah, and he entered into a new covenant with him. He blessed Noah, he poured his favor all over him, because he was righteous, blameless, and he walked with God. He was obedient, even though he had no idea what was on the other side of that obedience. But he knew it would be worth it because he was following after God's call on his life. I want to read to you this morning the words of a popular song called The Blessing. And it takes the ironic blessing that the priests used to pray over the people of Israel and combines it with what's known as the Shema, the prayer that the Israelite people prayed every day. And here's what it says. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his presence go before you and behind you, beside you, all around you, within you. He is with you in the morning and the evening, in your coming and your going, in your weeping and your rejoicing. He is for you. Now, as you go this week, go to build your boat, to build your lives around obedience. You never know what is on the other side of obedience to God. Now look around your boat. Look around your life. Are you looking after the next generation? Are you taking opportunities to worship the God who created you? Are you living with confident expectation that he'll supply your needs? And are you learning to travel light? to lay down the baggage. You see, God wants to bless you as you're obedient to him. And what he's asking you to do is to say yes to maybe something you haven't yet said yes to. What is there that you need to say yes to this morning? You'll never know what's on the other side of obedience to God until you obey. So let's stand and let me pray over you this morning before we go. Father, we come today seeking you, wanting to be obedient, allowing you to speak into our lives. What is it that we need to say yes to, to be obedient to you? Help us to say yes. And as we walk into our world, may others see that we're different that it's okay to be different. It's okay to take the right path even when everyone else is doing the wrong. But I pray, Lord, this morning that you will apply your blessing and your favor to these folks as they walk into their world to serve you, to make a difference in your kingdom. Thank you for all you do for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And you are dismissed.